the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. As I told you, as I mentioned yesterday, uh, late this week was going to be a couple of big decisions of the U.S. Supreme Court, and it came down today, the biggest decision in a long time, uh, and an extraordinary decision, really, in so many ways, uh, singular in its um, uh, in its um focus or singular in the way it can be characterized end of affirmative action but complicated in what it all means and we'll get to that in a moment and what you need to know uh welcome ed martin here on the pro america report excuse me pro america report don't forget visit pro america report.com pro america report.com head on over there and sign up for the daily email the daily wink comes out 8 a.m east coast 5 a.m pacific time right into your inbox a couple of key stories a couple of key links and then the wink what you need to know, my description, usually three, four, five, sometimes six sentences on what is important, what you need to know, the wink. You get that in the morning. Go sign up, ProAmericaReport.com. Follow me on Twitter, at Eagle Ed Martin, on Facebook, Ed Martin Live, on YouTube, also everywhere you go. com is where you can see all the work of our great organization, the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Okay, so uh, the decision came down today. And uh, as you might expect, uh, half the country and um, most of the um, news entities came out and said the following thing. They said affirmative action is dead. America is deeply flawed. Barack Obama jumped out. Michelle Obama jumped out and said, oh, my gosh, this is such a terrible, terrible moment. It's really horrendous. It, it, it's their response to me was worse than any anything I'd seen. Uh, uh, for President Obama to be so baldly uh, uh, political, to be so inattentive to what the moment is in life, in people's lives, in people's lives, not in what you think uh, the um, reality of, of law should be, but people's lives, just nasty. These are nasty people that they think so much of themselves and so much of their power that they just are, are out of control. So that was terrible. On the other side, and on the other hand, uh, the reality was the decision basically says you have to not discriminate on the basis of race. You're not allowed to group people by race. You are allowed to say, you know what, your experience as an African-American young man who comes out of the projects or an African-American young woman who goes through these challenges or whatever, those are valid. Those are valid, but it's not valid for you to lump people together and treat them as a group instead of individuals. And so th that seems to me to be progress. It, it, and it seems to me to be progress in the sense that the court got back to saying you have to treat everybody, every individual equal, equally. By the way, the case is called Students for Fair Admissions v. Harvard. Students for Fair Admission v. Harvard, just so you know the name of the case. 
And um, I, I guess they say it was divided along ideological lines, but six to three, that means that the Republicans or the Republican appointed justices who are more conservative actually stayed together because they certainly don't go vote as a block that often. But let's get back to something. If the response of so-called conservatives, Republicans and so-called conservatives is, oh, good, let's get back to judging people by the content of their character, by the uh, the arc of their story, by how they succeed or fail, instead of by their skin color or their grouping. Isn't that good? How can it be bad? What is it that can be bad? Because in the decision, Chief Justice Roberts explicitly said he referred to the fact that admissions for schools can certainly consider the fact that if someone writes about what it's like to be a young black man or a young black woman or a young uh, minority of some other kind, that they can take into consideration their story. The point is, let people have their uh, story, their history, their whoness. Instead of putting them in a group, because the groups are fake. The groups are not uh, uh, helping to actually move people who are in need. For example, it may be true 50 years ago that very few African-Americans had an opportunity to go to college. Might be true. I think it's probably true to some extent, but I don't know it. I'm just saying it. But today... Affirmative action slots in universities were being occupied by African-Americans who were second, third or fourth generation educated. They were coming from the the, the community, the families of wealth and, and, and success. It wasn't how to say a program that lifted people up. It was just a, a program that allowed people to be lumped together. And what is the Constitution, if not a protection against lumping people together? You're not allowed to lump people together by race, not by gender, not by uh, 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 ideology. The one thing you have to do is give every person due process, give every person their rights under the law. You don't say, oh, you're in that group, therefore you won't get rights under the law. If you're an American citizen, you escape from categories. Now, actually, if you're if you're not American citizen, you still do, too. You don't you don't get expelled from the country, for example, if you're here illegally because you're a part of a group. We don't say no African-Americans or no Africans allowed. We say if you're here illegally, you get sent out. And so the great American experience, the great American experiment, the great American sort of reckoning was to say in every way under the law, under the Constitution, We, the people, those three magic words, we, the people, have our rights. We, the people, have individual property rights, individual interests, individual rights of speech and assembly, etc. And those can't be diminished because someone says a category. I call you this group or that group or this grouping or that grouping or this look or that look, that's not allowed in America. And precisely because it's not allowed, we have had, and and let let me be clear for the people listening, we still have to make progress. We still had to improve. We still had to move forward, get smarter, get more decent. But ultimately, the reason the American experiment is so successful, rule of law, constitution, is because people can rely on that system 
to make it work for them. So if you want to get ahead, I'm not saying it's easy for everyone. It's not easy for a poor kid to get ahead, but you can. And it doesn't matter if you're black or white anymore. It may have mattered from bigotry. And by the way, it still may matter. I'm not saying racism is gone or bigotry is gone. I think people like taller people better. I think people like handsome, more handsome people better. I think people like sometimes men over women, women over men. And right now, if you're an African-American man and you get a college education, I think you'll beat the white guy every time because people will want to feel good about America working. And that's not against the law. What is against the law is to set up a system that says we're just going to group people together based on immutable characteristics and pretend that there's a fairness in that and call it fair. So, again, it's very hard to argue. You know, you can picture MLK Jr., Martin Luther King Jr., talking about don't judge us on the color of our skin, but on the content of our character, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That, That was the dream, right? That was the dream. Well, this is closer to the dream than not. And again, explicitly, the chief justice writes the opinion and says, you can still take into account and weigh an individual's experience. You just can't say because the individual is black, they get better treatment than an Asian kid. That's not allowed. And the fact that Obama, Michelle and Barack and Biden, Biden called it an, uh, uh, the court not normal. I mean, these are terrible, terribly nasty things to say that undermine the chance for people to get together and be together and build together. I, I, even I, and I knew we, the decision would go this way, even I am a, a surprised by how uh, the reaction happened and the politics of it. Court packing, people in the, in the U.S. House of Representatives, Democrats, saying it's time to pack the court. We need to load the court up with more justices that we can control. Let's add five more. We'll make them all Democrats, then we'll have control. And then the next time around, Republicans will add five more. We'll end up with a Supreme Court of 28 people, which other countries have, and it will be unwieldy. It'll just keep changing back and forth. I don't think that the Supreme Court gets every decision right, and I don't think that the Supreme Court should have as much influence as it does. But in this case, it got the decision right. And the fact that it got the decision in the direction of saying you cannot be racist and call it progress and racist, meaning you see people based on race instead of by merit. By the way, when I say you can't treat people or see people based on race instead of merit, I don't mean that you have to ignore race. Nobody's saying that we're saying Groups, treating people as groups is inherently wrong and unconstitutional in this case. So hopefully the decision will play out over the coming uh, weeks with more um, respect than what we're seeing right now. But I don't know. I doubt it. All right. We will take a break. We'll be right back. We got a couple of great guests. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You know, for a long time, we have uh, listened and I have relied on the reporting of Todd Benzman uh, down on the border. His book, Overrun, is really the definitive book on what the Biden administration did. It's the title is How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest uh, Border Crisis in UN- U.S. History. But I can't, I first came to know him because of his other book, which is called America's Covert Border War, The Untold Story of the Nation's Battle to prevent jihadist infiltration. And that book, which he wrote uh, a couple of years ago, was where I first saw and read about him and then got him on the show. And we talked a lot about how, because his background is in uh, national security, he's senior, senior national security fellow over at the Center for Immigration Studies. And the question was, how, how are we not addressing that aspect of it? Well, for the last year or so, I've been relying on him to describe the border, but we've come full circle. And he has a piece up over at uh, C, uh, let me get it right, CD, uh, CD, CDM, CDM media uh, writing on this topic, a classified case like Donald Trump's hardly media ignored convicted FBI analyst ties to Islamic jihadist. So welcome back, Todd. And I, I was interested to hear on national security, your thoughts on this. This was I read this and I thought, wow, uh, it, it worth talking about. So uh, welcome back. And what, what's going on here? Thank you. Well, this case of a FBI analyst who uh, was arrested and charged with violating the Espionage Act, just like Donald Trump, uh, was, you know, put into kind of national circulation in the media because uh, people were like, well, you know, this woman just got four years in prison and she violated the Espionage Act. And so Trump can affect, could, in effect, expect four years in prison. These are very cases the New York Times, uh, you know, media all over the the nation wrote about this in the context of Donald Trump's case. But when you dig into the court records, which is what I did, because I was interested, like, what, really, how are these similar? Uh, they're not similar at all. The media got this completely wrong. They're stretching really far to try to make this case like the Donald Trump case. This case involves an FBI analyst named Kendra Kingsbury, who uh, was stealing top secret and secret FBI counterterrorism case files and talking to targets of those FBI counterterrorism investigations on the phone, stealing the stuff, talking to all these targets on the phone. Uh, in other words, she is uh, convicted for actually doing something with the stuff that she stole, which was to help jihadists. Uh, This is uh, something that is so egregious and so willful with intent. I mean, the woman did not bring classified documents. And by the way, 20,000 of them over a 12-year period did not bring these home accidentally in a box that had a bunch of golf balls in it. Uh, She brought these home on purpose uh, she was not a counterterrorism analyst. That this was not her job. She did counterintelligence and you know drug trafficking and stuff like that. Not involved in counterterrorism, so she had no business whatsoever going into the case files of other analysts and agents, taking those documents home with her, and then making phone calls to the targets of those cases. And so, uh, for one thing, I really wanted to just point out that this is not a similar case 
Donald Trump is not accused of anything like this. Uh, he's accused of inadvertently bringing home classified materials, and then nobody's accusing him of doing anything nefarious with them uh, like this woman was. And uh, I also thought that this was a, an egregious case all by itself that outside of Donald Trump, I have nothing to do with Donald Trump. This is outrageous what this woman did. Uh, and it shows that there is a jihadist threat continuing jihadist threat inside the country uh, that those bad guys have aid and assistance sometimes inside our intelligence agencies and federal law enforcement agencies uh, who are willing to uh, leak classified material uh, at the expense of U.S. national security like this, like this woman did. And it's really a fascinating case. I've got it all in the piece on creative, destructive media, CD media. Todd, is this, is this, um, I feel like the issue of uh, documents and s- s- classification is both underexposed and also a reality of the current moment. In other words, Everything is cla- well, two things. We have so much government that there is a lot of stuff that there's so much government, so much is happening, so much is not something that necessarily is helpful at all moments to share. I'm not even I'm not even claiming like everything in government should be transparent all the time, although my instinct is for more, not less. So we, we've grown our government so big that there's a lot of things happening that you can't really uh, share in real time without messing them up. That's number one. Number two, we've also created uh, a power within the government where people can, you know, classify lots of stuff that may not really need to be classified. And so having both to describe both of those things, we then have a, a pretty significant problem of lots of people breaking the so-called law or rules. Right. I mean, this is an epidemic of and whether it's real threats or not, there's lots and lots of examples. I mean, your point here is this was a real threat and not just a, but it's a mess, isn't it, around this topic? Well, I'm surprised that we don't have a whole lot more of these cases, Uh, you know, but, you know, we do get these every once in a while. And I I do believe that they're still rare uh, when they happen. Uh, I'm not surprised that former presidents, uh, you know, accidentally bring stuff home in all their their boxes, you know, uh, or vice presidents, for that matter. Joe Biden did it. Uh, I think he kept a bunch of his uh, next to the sports car in the garage. But, you know. When it comes to kind of line level uh, agents and analysts, I mean, I I had a ta- I had a secret clearance myself for many years, and you know we are constantly schooled in how to handle these documents. I mean, several times a year we have to go through training. This woman had to go through about sixteen hundred hours of training as an FBI analyst. So if we overclassified documents, you know, that's almost beside the point. Even if they're overclassified, you don't bring them home on purpose, you know, you know, sneak them out of the office, uh, you know, on CDs and thumb drives like this woman did. Uh, so, you know, it is it is a uh, when, when you have overclassification, maybe there's a greater chance of things like this happening. But what this woman did was just absolutely egregious. It was a willful, purposeful leaking of active classified material on active 
counterterrorism investigations. Uh, I I find it almost not believable when the prosecutors write in the court records that we just have no idea why she did this. Uh, there's no mention of her uh, religious uh, affiliation. Uh, maybe she was a convert. Uh, there, we have had uh, lots of cases of you know converts, Anglo uh, men and women who went jihad on us, and I suspect that's what happened with this woman. And they're like, oh, we may never know why she did this. Well, call her ex-husband, man. You know, uh, talk to a neighbor. Uh, go to the local mosque and knock the door. Did you ever see this woman? That sort of thing that would have told us that this is actually a terrorism case. Uh, it was charged as an espionage espionage act violation case. And I kind of suspect that the prosecutors were told how to handle this thing so that it kind of looks like something Donald Trump did. Yeah. Um, And uh, and, and, uh, Todd Bensman is our guest again, toddbensman.com. Check out his two books. I just have a minute left, Todd. Uh, Give me your assessment in the piece. You referred to the fact that um, the Kansas City Star, I think, didn't dig into this. I mean, the media missed this, too. Right. I mean, this is one of the points that they'll downplay everything else um, and then they'll upplay anything Trump related. Yeah, exactly. I think they got a twofer. One, they were able to uh, sharpen the knives and flash them and kind of uh, stick Donald Trump with them. And at the same time, they were able to get away with writing about a total terrorism case, a real terrorism case in the United States. And they just never called it that or talked to anything about what this woman was doing. She was in contact. They, They checked her cell phone and home phone records, and she was in contact for years and years, regular contact with people who were the targets of of active FBI cases while she was stealing the records. And she also was running database searches. She would Hmm. talk to one one day and then the next day would go into the office and run a bunch of checks. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. All right, Todd, I got to go. Unfortunately, I'm out of time. Todd Bensman is always uh, 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 teaching us here on the Pro-America Report. He is awesome on the border. In this case, he's also been explaining these national security issues. He's really valuable over at CIS.org. The Center for Immigration Studies is uh, where he hangs his hat professionally. But ToddBensman.com is where you can see his books and other writings. We will take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Uh, time to catch up with, and this is really true, an old friend, meaning somebody I've known for, I don't know, 15, 20 years uh, in the trenches, uh, Dr. Jerome Corsi, uh, who is well known to uh, so many people as an author. He's published over 30 books, uh, six of them, I think, maybe seven are uh, New York Times bestsellers, including a couple of them that are number one. It's hard to do when you're conservative. Uh, he was a senior editor for more than a decade over at WorldNetDaily.com, and uh, but but more than all that, and he's got a new book, which we're going to talk about. More than all that, he's a long, long time friend, confidant, uh, you know, pal of the late Phyllis Schlafly. And then me and uh, John Schlafly also, uh, we were we saw him, uh, Jerome Corsi, a few weeks ago uh, at a meeting, the CNP meeting. It was great to see him and catch up. And so welcome back to the program, Dr. Corsi. Uh, the new book, How the Coming Global Crash Will Create a Historic Gold Rush. Now, you're a guy that knows ec- economy, uh, the economy so i need to understand this but before we get to that where is this crash because i was walking down the street and i saw stephen moore the economist and i said to him he's at heritage and i said to him 
I got to be honest, the economy feels like it's teetering, but it doesn't feel bad if you get my drift. Inflation is horrendous, but at least everybody, a lot of people are working. So where are we with the current economy? Is the next crash around the corner? Do we not know? Or what's what's going on here? Well, Ed, it's great to be back with you. Thank you very much. And I am a very strong supporter of you. And I, I Phyllis was phenomenal and very important in my life. Phyllis Schlafly. Yeah, of course. Uh, now, uh, the, the cra- to answer your question, the, the crash has already started and it right. will progress. I mean, it's, it's hard to see it at the beginning, which is the problem for many people. But the signs of it are apparent. First of all, we do have inflation that can't be controlled. The Federal Reserve has not stopped inflation. It's still 5%. And while they paused for one month on raising interest rates, uh, Chairman Powell of the Federal Reserve said there'll be two more raises of interest rates yet this year. Now, the interest rates are are horribly uh, detrimental to economic growth because what happens is the housing market immediately begins to crash. You're now seeing we had a housing boom from about 2012 to about 2021, 22 after the pandemic. But now housing prices are coming down. Houses are not being sold. 30-year fixed mortgages are at about 7% already, which is enormously high. And commercial real estate is crashing because offices are 30 to 40% vacant. You have San Francisco is kind of the the case that's really now a city that is, I think, a failed city, the homelessness, the drugs, uh, the, the the violence in the streets. You have uh, one of the big hotels, the Hilton and Union Square, this beautiful little square in San Francisco, which is now filthy and uh, shops are closing up all over the place. The Hilton walked away from its loan with the bank. You have hmm. commercial real estate that is failing. <clears throat> And the banks are taking over the commercial. When commercial real estate fails across the country, you've got about $1.5 trillion of bank failures, bank loans that are going to default. And these things are going to hit hard when they hit because it's the type of crash that will affect the banks. We've already seen banks like Silicon Valley fail. Well, across the country, the Federal Reserve right now, balance sheet is about $8 trillion doubled in the last few years on holding government debt, largely treasury bonds and mortgage-backed securities. These mortgage-backed securities will begin failing once the real estate failure starts and once the commercial bank defaults begin in earnest. And you've got a, a collapsing house of cards. It's like they're calling it a doom loop. So in San Francisco, the offices are empty. They're defaulting. You've got major retailers that are closing shop, Nordstrom pulling out. You've got the malls closing. Uh, you're having a, a failed city that will lose tax revenue and not be able to support the city services in a, in a city that has been defunding the police, a beautiful city that's been destroyed. And this is the this is the poster child for what's going to happen across the United States and major U.S. cities that are Democratic-controlled. And so we are, and it's going to be a global crash. Already in Europe, they've declared a recession. They haven't declared it here yet, but you're going to see it's going to be a stagflation. And I think it's going to be deeper. It's going to be a combination of the 1970s energy crash because of the global warming and 
the the expensive conversion to this solar wind and battery, which doesn't really work on the scalable basis we need it to work. And then you've got the real estate crisis, like the subprime crisis, uh, subprime real estate crashing in 2008, 2009. We're in for a double whammy. People are already losing jobs. There are layoffs going on across the country. This woke agenda is extremely devastating to the economic growth of the country. And uh, we're going in for a very, very hard time. The good news out of it is that the price of gold is probably going to double because in our last two previous crises, the 70s and 80s, 2008 and 2009 and 1974 through about 1979, Gold doubled each time, and gold will double again. That's I'm writing the book so, with. Ian so Haskin, uh, 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 we're talking with Dr. Jerome Corsi. I, I I believe you. What I don't understand is how um how uh it, so uh, last week we had on the program um uh, my friend um. Todd Benzman, who is down on the border, and he basically said, look, the Biden administration is lying about the numbers on the border and that, and, and the media is allowing them to lie. Feels the same way about the economy, that the fundamentals are off. The inflation is real. You can feel it. But the fundamentals are off all the debt, the coming debt and all. Um, so I, I guess is there a way to can they hold the can the band-aids hold the lies and the band-aids hold things together uh and or don't we know i mean i i believe you that it's coming the question is is it is it now and and I, how do we what are the sort of you know we're talking with dr jerome corsi and and he well known among other things uh books but historian uh by the way his website is the truthcentral.com but so what's history tell us about how predictable the timing is well it'll it'll seem like a party until the day the stock market crashes. <laughs> it's not we're, right. We're going through we're going through the same cycle. We the cycle that we're being put through by the Federal Reserve has been done before. Nineteen twenties. We had the roaring twenties. Everything looked great. People were in the speakeasies, their life was good. Nineteen twenty nine they woke up, the stock market crashed. Right. So there's the it's boom, then you have bust, then you have depression, then you have war. We had the stock market crash in 29. We had the depression in the 30s. We had World War II in the 19, late 1930s through 1945. We're going through the same thing. Look, things look great. We got out of the pandemic. The government spent all this money. Stock market looks good. The government is printing billions and trillions of dollars, $33 trillion now, the federal debt. We, we're not even going to have a debt ceiling for two years. Let's have a big party. Everybody have some champagne. Stock market, you've got your money in your stock market, take it out now. Could lose 10,000 points. Could lose that fast. And that's going to be the crash. Right. Then you're going to find out people aren't going to be able to afford their homes, their mortgages. Commercial office buildings are going to shut down and be, and be taken over by the banks, empty. You're going to find businesses fail and massive layoffs. Now we're going to hit depression and wars already building. We've got Russia moving nuclear weapons into Belarus and announcements that Iran is ready to test its first nuclear weapon. We have war brewing. The war drums are already forming in Europe and in Asia. China's poised to try to take over Taiwan. We're going through a cycle like we went through the 1920s through the 1940s. We're doing it again, but now it's much more dangerous. It's much bigger. The money numbers are huger. The the real estate has developed. The economies have developed. They have a harder crash this time. And I'm telling people, 
You better look at the dollars in your wallet and look to go to the grocery store, spend $100, see how little you get, and realize that you better spend some of that money getting some gold because your dollars are only going to get less valuable at, at an increasing rate. And I hate uh, to be bringing this news, but it's the truth. And my, yeah. my website, this is the truth central. This is the truth. Um, Dr. Jerome, our course, yeah, I should have said the book is Post Hill Press. I love those guys over there. Um, unfortunately, we're out of time. I told you off the air. It goes fast. We'll have you back on, though. It's been too long. Dr. Jerome Corsi, uh, New York Times bestselling author, his newest book, How the Coming Global Crash Will Create a Historic Gold Rush, uh, lays out exactly both the causes of what's about to happen, what's happening soon, sometime soon, and then where it can end up. So uh, check it out. Thank you, Dr. Corsi. Sorry it goes so fast, but uh, we appreciate you. My great pleasure. Thank you, Ed. All right. We'll take a break and be right back. I'll put up on social media links uh, to his book and to his website. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. Now, continuing that legacy, the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The Biden administration recently promulgated new regulations that nearly require all schools to allow biological males to invade the athletic activities of girls and women. Schools that try to protect the integrity of girls' sports may be hit with multi-million dollar lawsuits under Joe Biden's anti-girl rewriting of Title IX. You may have heard about this disastrous change. But have you heard what professional sports leagues are doing to push the transgender culture on the next generation? The NFL has already been at the front lines of promoting transgender culture by installing transgender cheerleaders into America's most beloved teams. New laws in 21 states seek to protect girls' sports against an unfair invasion by boys. But if Republican legislators fail to stand up, then the NFL, NCAA, and other sports monopolies will continue to ram a transgender culture down our throats. Sports commentators have already been hit with scandal after scandal for demanding strict adherence to the gender-questioning worldview, and dabbling into political fights has certainly never been beneath them. Why should we expect anything different going forward? The Republican-controlled U.S. House and state legislature that are Republican-controlled should immediately act to uproot the cause by sending subpoenas and holding hearings on sports leagues that promote a transgender culture. Congress should repeal the antitrust exemption for Major League Baseball, where teams are owned by billionaires who hardly need any protection from competition. Congress should also take steps to end the practice of television networks locking rival sports leagues out of the lucrative television contracts that are given to the NFL. Today, the freight train coming down the tracks is pro sports promoting transgenderism, which they're able to do only if Congress and state legislatures continue to look the other way. It's time to overturn the favoritism given to the sports league monopolies while they harm our culture. They aren't playing games anymore. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. It's no secret that globalists are bent on destroying Western culture. Whether the threat comes from inside or outside our borders, America must be protected from cultural Marxism and those who would deny American sovereignty. We're seeking your insight at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, um, I wanted to take a few moments and talk a little bit about the issues that John Eastman, Professor John Eastman, is facing. Uh, John Eastman is a professor, longtime professor, sort of well-known in conservative circles for being very smart. Um, he um, he was uh, uh, he is an attorney. I think he clerked at, at one point for um, uh, for. Um, uh, Clarence Thomas. I think that's right. He's basically, he's a very well-regarded, um, smart guy. He's, uh, he's been a professor and, and I think, uh, one of the, in the leadership at the Claremont Institute. Um, he has uh, a record of, uh, scholarly, uh, output that is really like one of these super, um, one of these super um, lawyers who uh, and law professors who does a ton of that. So, and he got uh, famous in this in this setting. Yeah, he was at Claremont Institute. I'm looking at my notes. He was a dean of the Chapman University School of Law, also, um, and uh, he ran for attorney general in California. Yeah, he had clerked for Clarence Thomas early in his career. He's a um, a really seems like a really nice guy, really interesting man, and he had a theory. Uh, a legal theory about um, the electoral process and what happened with the election that he expressed uh, in um, 2021 in the first days of 2021 about the 2020 election. Um, and again, he had clerked for the high answer. Right, he clerked for Luddick too, judge Luddick. He, he clerked at the highest levels. One of these super smart guys. And um, he was wrong in the sense that nobody d- took his uh, advice and he ended up his legal theory ended up being not uh, not one that was utilized in any significant sense. But he had basically made this this uh, complicated argument about the history of the law, uh, the history of the Electoral College and how it would work and how the vice president at the time, Mike Pence, uh, could not certify the election. He could pause and allow something to happen to check on what had happened in elections. And so because of that, he was widely reviled by the left, but he'd always been a very respectable guy on all sides. People that disagreed with him politically didn't find him disagreeable, but now he was, as I said, reviled. And then he became the target of what's called the 65 project. And the 65 project is an effort to target the 65 lawyers who participated in challenges to the 2020 election on behalf of President Trump or his allies. And it was named the 65 Project precisely for that reason. It was funded with millions of dollars by a uh, left-wing activist to go after these people. And so they've gone after the lawyers. And you can tick through them. Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, Sidney Powell, uh, on and on and on. Um, uh, Jeff Clark. But one of them is John Eastman, and he is now in California, and he's fighting to hold on to his bar license because the California bar has decided that he has somehow gone outside of his uh, duties as an attorney in California by having this serious legal argument and explaining it to his client and having his client decide whether to act or not act. That's precisely what lawyers are supposed to do. It's a little bit like saying that you are a doctor and you give a patient doctors, a patient's got a terrible diagnosis, a terrible problem. And you say, well, we can't figure out what it is, but here's a theory of what it is. This might help you. And the person decides whether they're going to take the medicine or not. They don't have to. It's America. You can't force someone to accept your, your medical advice if they don't want to, but you can give the medical advice. And we have to have that threshold for especially for lawyers, especially in sophisticated legal settings where there's so much going on. 
So the the uh, what I, and the reason I'm telling you this is there's a good, very good piece by my friend uh, Brandon Weikert, who's written a number of books, and he's got a piece over at uh, 1945.com. It's called Donald Trump's 2020 Election Claim is Now Finally Dead. And that's interesting enough. He's basically saying Donald Trump's legal theory never worked. But he, then he goes on to say John Eastman, who was one of the architects of it, shouldn't be put in uh, a California court defending his law license just because he made a legal argument. It, it, I mean, you can even say you think it's a dumb argument, but it's not uh, outside of the realm of arguments. That's what lawyers do. And a good client, a good principal, hears from a bunch of lawyers because, hey, this is a complicated thing we've never seen. We don't know how to deal with this many subsidiary uh, uh, legal jurisdictions. Uh, you know, it's 50 states and there's all these different laws that we're not sure. And the Electoral College and this and that. What do we do? Someone comes up with a theory. And as is pointed out by Brandon Weikert. Joe Biden's chief of staff, Ron Klain, was a theorist when Al Gore was coming up with a convoluted, difficult to understand theory of challenging George W. Bush back in uh, uh, 2000. And no one disbarred Ron Klain. The point is, you've got to have some leeway, especially when it looks so obviously political that they're going after Eastman. You have that makes it very suspect. It's not like he said, hey, I want to re- recommend to you that you drive through that light. The light is green. And it turns out there's a you know a video camera running and the light is not green. You made a mistake. Well, that's an error. Even an error is forgivable if it's not uh, intentional or negligent, negligent in a certain way. But in the se- in the setting of the complexity of legal recommendations and legal theories and ongoing investigations and things that there has to be. In fact, I, I was saying in the run up to January 6th that the January 6th date was an important one because the Constitution contemplated that you would have all that time to worry about it. There, there was, in fact, a release valve on our system. January 6th and the electoral process. And at a certain point, the release release valve had to be shut off. Now, what Eastman was saying was basically, well, you can let it let it stay open a little bit longer because you've got some complications. People don't agree. But that's not a reason to indict him, which might be coming. It's not a reason to challenge him in court for his bar license. It's outrageous. So my challenge to you all, and I'll put it up on social media, you got to support this guy, Professor John Eastman, And by all accounts, a really good man, a nice man, a quality person. You should support him. Go There's a Give, Send, Go uh, program raising money for his legal defense. You should give to that. I will. I'm going to. All right. Have a great uh, day, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow. Ted Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back tomorrow. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.